Hello, and welcome to the Retail Rundown. I'm your host, Julia Raymond-Hare. If you've tuned in before, welcome back. And if you are new, this is a show where we cover hot topics from news and trends happening in the best industry. You probably guessed it, retail. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at Rethink underscore Retail on LinkedIn and many more. You can find links to our social handles on the bottom of our website homepage at Rethink.Industries or if it's easier to remember RethinkRetail.org. If you're keeping up with the buzz and now on Clubhouse, it would be swell to connect with you there. My handle is at Julia R. Hare, R like retail and hair like the rabbit. That's also my Twitter handle. Two last announcements before we dive into today's discussion. First, and this is a shout out to Orlando, Florida, where I live, we are all systems go. We are about to be launching our Rethink Retail Top 100 list of retail influencers. I hope you're as jazzed up about it as we are. You can keep on the lookout on those social handles, as I mentioned. And second, we put together a brand new offering of thought leadership services to help retail solution providers make an impact in this space. So if you'd like to find out more, email us at media at rethink.industries. And with that, let's jump in. Today, I'm joined by our guests, Justin Abrams and Raymond Riley. Justin is the Chief Executive Officer of Flagship RTL, a brick-and-mortar retail services platform that has launched stores for major powerhouse luxury brands like Montclair, Bogner, and Bonpois. Ray is the co-CEO of Progress Retail, a retail operations and employee experience platform providing dynamic learning, task management, and company communications. Justin, Ray, thank you both for joining the show today. Thanks so much for having us. Today, we are going to talk about Target. This got a ton of buzz online. I posted about it on LinkedIn, and I think it's one of my most viral posts. There has been a lot of chatter because they recently announced not only that Apple would be in their store, but also their fourth quarter and full year 2020 earnings report, and it had everyone talking. The big news here is that Target sales grew by more than $15 billion USD in 2020, which was, get this, greater than than the company's total sales growth over the last 11 years. So for emphasis, for anyone listening, if you haven't heard it yet, the growth Target saw in 2020 was greater than total sales growth over the last 11 years. So another interesting stat that came out of the report revealed that more than 95% of Target's fourth quarter sales were fulfilled by its stores. That's a great stat that's promising for stores. You know, they're not going away. And Target obviously had a great year and emerged from the pandemic stronger than ever. So what's your take on Target's come up? What is it about them that they're getting right? And what can smaller retailers maybe learn from this? I'll start with you, Justin. As I was reading about what was happening, kind of went down the checklist and they were checking all the boxes. But I think there are three things in particular that Target's doing really well that when we look in, we, we attribute their success to it. The first is that you know rising tide floats all boats. So if you have brick and mortar and e-commerce in a market, your business is almost always stronger. We see that across just about all the brands that we work with. And then it's not enough to just have the two channels or three channels, but you need to connect them as much as possible and ideally provide the most frictionless experience for the customer. So they are doing things like in-store shopping, obviously Bopis, e-com, same day, drive-through. I read that their drive-through business was up 400%. This also provides stronger economics for the retailers. So, you know, if you're e-com only, you know, you might be getting crushed with 30% returns, which are a huge pain to your cost center as a retailer. And so when you have the stores, a local, you know, fulfillment center, 
there are strong economic benefits uh, to doing so. And obviously, it'll drive your business much more when customers have multiple touch points to shop from. And then, you know, what I read about where they're investing this new $4 billion, it's on a hyperlocal approach. And, you know, e-commerce by nature is hyperlocal because you're shipping zip code by zip code. And if you can take these smaller format stores and merchandise them, you know, specifically to what that local customer wants, you're going to be so much better off. And a lot of our brands kind of play off an 80-20 rule where, you know, they're stocking in that store. 20% of the merch that 80% of their customers are going to buy on a local level. And actually, one of our brands reported is 30% lift in sales when they shifted from maybe a more standard merchandising plan to a hyper-local merchandising plan. So we see that as you know highly important in these small format stores that they're looking to roll out around college campuses and these secondary markets, uh, I think are going to make them that much stronger. Great points, Justin. Just a quick recap. You said three things are really driving Target's success, and that's rising tides floats all boats is what you said. I love that phrase. Or omni-channel. Omni-channel, right? And then store uh, as the local fulfillment center, which we've been talking about a lot. And then the third point, which I really liked, is the hyper-local merchandising plan. Plan, and you threw out a stat there that it's investing $4 billion, which is huge. Ray, what would you like to jump in with? Anything to add to those points? Yeah, sure. I mean, from reviewing that press release, to quote Vladimir Lenin, you know, there are decades where nothing happens and there are weeks where decades happen. And clearly, you know, Brian Cornell and the Target's take on that is decades of revenue realized in likely 39 weeks of a pandemic. It's crazy. Target's got everything going for them. The right real estate, product mix, price for value, and most importantly, scale. I live in downtown Chicago, and I have a Target about a 10-minute walk from me, in addition to a nice full grocery store, Mariano's, for any Midwest folks around here. That's about 15 minutes away. And you know, I was scanning my credit card history, and I personally went to Target from just a transaction basis alone three times as many times in 2019. And it's such a convenience play. And I think many people, you know, regardless of work-from-home dynamics... We were in many ways busier, or at least mentally and emotionally busier than ever before. And so that opportunity to save time, consolidate on our shopping, get in and out, remains important to a lot of consumers. And I think that was pretty evident in their Q4 average ticket, increasing 13%. And you know, from a technology perspective, that was obviously instrumental in enabling that efficient transactional experience with, you know, just like Justin mentioned, their same-day services growing hundreds of percent on last year. So, you know, in terms of takeaways for smaller retailers. I think there's only so much relevant duplicability that can be extracted from a behemoth like Target, you know, 242,000 square feet across 1,900 doors. But I actually think that's the point. You know, Target store operations are sharp. I want to give a shout out to my local division in Larrabee Target downtown here in Chicago. Every time without fail, whether it's nine at night, 11 a.m. on a Sunday, I hit that escalator to the top and I'm immediately greeted with a genuinely by a team member who sometimes is doing double duty cleaning carts. There's always someone there cleaning carts each and every time without fail. So, you know, you're communicating subconsciously and consciously to consumers walking in that Target can be trusted. I've been in many other retail businesses, large format like Target or otherwise, where you, know, you don't see that same level of detail. And that detail of retail, you know, is something they're excelling at, especially at their scale. So I think that means, you know, streamlined store operations become simply table stakes for modern retail, especially if you're a smaller operation. So, you know, just to that end, I mean, the agility of their store operations were probably further tested in Q4 with their digital comp sales growing at 118%. And recognizing, like you mentioned, Julia, that Target stores fulfilled 95% of that, these guys were busy. So to recap, I guess it's really about effectively operationalizing and training on these key store operations initiatives. And if it can happen consistently at Target scale, there is little excuse 
at a smaller scale. And that will be sewn into the fabric of the customer's expectation. I love everything you just said. And I also appreciate how you gave a shout out to your local target and the operations team there, because I over 100 plus podcasts, I don't think anyone's ever done that. So shout out to Target near Raymond. That's awesome. I love that. And to your last point, I think you said something that I would like to weave into the next bit of news with Target we'll talk about is the detail of retail is what you said. And it's the agility of their operations that really does set them apart. And last month, they announced that they're teaming up with Apple. As everyone knows, Apple's already teamed up with Best Buy in the past, and they're launching mini shops inside at least 17 of their stores with plans to roll out more. So the new concept doubles Apple's footprint. It brings displays for all of their products, iPhone, iPad, Apple Watch, AirPods, and accessories. And it's supposed to be, quote, designed for guests to experience new products through demonstration. So when you think about everything they're doing, they're bringing in mini Apple stores, they're bringing in Ulta Beauty, they're bringing in uh, Disney, which they've already implemented at 50 stores Some people are saying it's more like a mini mall. So how can we disagree with that? Because it's not. They're obviously doing very well. My thought on that is an Apple has, you know, maybe 506 stores now where Target has 1,800 plus and they're going to be investing in so many more. So for the brands like Apple and Ulta, it's drastically more distribution, but it's also helping Target properly merchandise their stores. You know, if they're going to be opening on college campuses, that's tremendous business for Apple that they just would never, ever be able to tap into, at least with a brick and mortar presence, if they were continuing to launch these stores in these more major markets, more flagship type stores. So, you know, I think for these brands, it's just, you know, getting the right product in front of the right customer and Target's a hyper-local vehicle to do so. Uh, So I don't necessarily think about it in the mall context. I think about it as Target as being smart about getting the best and the best products out there, whether it's their new white label products or whether it's some of these more established brands like Apple and just getting it in front of the consumers. They're just an omni-channel vehicle on a zip code by zip code level. And I would say, I mean, just to add in, Bob Fibbs, the retail doctor, he has his own podcast. He commented on my LinkedIn post about this and he was asking, well, wasn't Apple saying they were going to redo all the stores with wall-to-wall video screens. He's like, there's a lot to be said for the experience of going into an Apple store versus an Apple store and store in Target. Do you guys agree? Or does that just come back to convenience? What is it? Especially for a product like Apple, education is a huge piece. You know, every time they launch a new product, I'm sure the customer wants to figure out why would I invest in a step-up iPhone or a step-up Mac? Uh, or if this is the device I'm going to be spending all of my waking hours in in college, college student wants to get to touch and try and feel the product and maybe get upsold on some accessories. So I think it's more than that. I think it's for products like that and cosmetics where you want to try on products and, and touch and feel what you're putting on your skin. It's super important for the customer to have that physical touch point and then continue to purchase on whatever terms are most convenient for them. Yeah, you know, in, in terms of it being a win-win, for me, it's difficult to say. I think without question, it's a win for Apple. They recognize the consumer's behaviors drastically move towards efficiency and really shopping visit consolidation. And that was obviously reflected in Target's increases in foot traffic as well as average ticket. So I think that playbook's pretty clear. You know, folks are buying from Target across more categories. And I don't know if either of you visited an Apple store during the pandemic. I did a few times. And no fault of Apple, but it wasn't the most enjoyable thing. You know, waiting in lines, trying mm-hmm. to determine availability of appointments, especially on the repair Apple Care side. And I think that this may have a little bit to do with it. You know, I had to buy my first Mac and I've had Mac since I was two years old with an Apple IIci. So I'm an Apple fiend. Um, <laughs> but I had a machine die two weeks before Christmas and I had a 
urgent. Mm -hmm. We're all busy. I had to go to Best Buy. And again, two weeks prior to Christmas, the store was nearly empty, but naturally curbside was quite busy. Took me a long time to find somebody to help me in the Mac section. And so I would venture to guess that Apple feels they're missing that in-store traffic and opportunity from a product exploration and discovery standpoint within the Best Buy channel. And Target's a logical fit. Mm-hmm. I could definitely see your points there. And I had a similar experience as well with at least the the waiting portion. But you do get to see a lot of the flashy elements of being in the Apple Store that makes the experience definitely feel more luxury. So I could see people's argument there. But you mentioned, Ray, Best Buy. And I was talking about Best Buy a lot recently with their plans to turn some of their stores into micro-fulfillment centers and then even restructure some of their stores to make you know the front end smaller and the back end bigger. So what do you guys think about Best Buy's plan to do that? Because some people were saying it's not a great plan. They should focus on in-store experience versus just being fulfillment centers. I mean, we have a live example of that with a store that we have in Toronto, where actually 10 days after opening or 20 days after opening, it went into complete lockdown. So this store is now a fulfillment center for all of Canada, which has been a huge win, huge win for the retailer. I think there are more ways to use the store. We're doing a lot of virtual appointments, which are driving a huge number of our sales. We have in-store associates reaching out to customers that are purchasing online to help complete their looks and make sure that you know there's a high-touch experience there. You obviously, want, you don't want to compromise experience. I think what Big Box typically did and more format, you know, larger format stores were, were, it was the public display of all the warehousing and products, right? I think you should focus on small format experience. Obviously, use your excess space to make the store as efficient as possible. And I can say across the board, when our stores are being used as micro-fulfillment centers, the ROI, the PNL is much stronger, way easier to be profitable when you're that efficient. And it just means that you can justify opening more locations and more zip codes. So that's really how we look at it. I don't think you should ever compromise on experience, but I don't think you need 10,000 square feet to give an experience. Yeah, I would totally agree with Justin. I think that you know the economics have demonstrated it is cheaper to utilize a store to fulfill a lot of these orders. And so, yeah, you know, I, I also think Best Buy is... They're meeting customers where they're at right now. And there is still a healthy segment of the population that is just averse to going into stores. And in terms of them being able to rehire, obviously there was news about a lot of those layoffs. So for them to be able to you know, restructure their workforce and bring these folks back and you know, re-merchandise or reformat these existing large buildings they have is probably very doable in you know years to come when hopefully this uh, is far behind us. I think if we were to wave a magic wand, it's kind of that experience that Ray was sharing about his his local target. I think for the brands that you love and shop from a lot, you should have that neighborhood point of distribution there. You should have, it's a service center again for returns, for curbside. And it's a place where there's some experience that you're walking past it all the time. So there's the billboard element at the store. And so I think for brands to really fit well inside of communities, they have to take this hyperlocal approach where, again, they can create the most frictionless experience possible. And there's that experiential you know, element that they can interact with all the time. There's one, and it was the most simple thing, but Nordstrom Local opened a store on Melrose and they were doing the community's dry cleaning. It was a place where you could drop off your dry cleaning. And so people were going there, you know, once a week, once every other week, and they were constantly seeing, you know, how the store was merchandised. I'm sure they were making purchases. Uh, there was a fun little experiential piece of a cafe, I believe, in there. 
And that's what I envision as a best case scenario for so many of the brands that we work with. And I think retailers overall is to have that presence in in every zip code where it makes sense, where you have a customer there and provide that type of experience, efficiency and frictionless shopping availability. All great points, Ray and Justin. One of the questions, I don't know if this is as applicable, but for small to medium sized retailers, I think there's a lot of conversation going around about how do they compete? Do you even call it competing when it comes to, you know, seeing the success? that Target and Amazon and Walmart are having, what would you guys recommend to mid-sized retailers? From my side, it's really easy to stay in e-commerce land and there are benefits to it. And you know, at Flagship, you know, our mission is to help brands A-B test physical retail the way they can A-B test e-com, right? If there's a Facebook ad that works well for you, you can run with it. And if it doesn't, you can cut your losses. And we wanted to create the same experience within physical retail. So I think with a call it a fail fast model, Brands don't need to stay in the digital environment. They can get the win of, again, rising tide floats all both the credibility that comes with it, the efficiencies that we chatted about, the more frictionless experience for brands there. And I think you just leave a lot of customers, new customers on the table, and you leave a lot of money on the table, quite frankly, when you don't take this approach, when you just stick to one channel. And so I think whether you're a small or mid-sized retailer, if you can you know, find an agile way to scale and test new markets with physical retail to find your ideal footprint. And for some of the brands we work with, that's a year-round store in 10 locations and a seasonal presence in 50 locations. But I think when you can test to find your ideal footprint, you're, you're not leaving those new customers and uh, dollars on the table. And you're providing all the benefit that we've seen Target provide for their customers and obviously the rewards that come with it. Yeah, I think, you know, to just add to probably what I shared earlier around really the focus on training and operationalizing how your stores run, right? And if Target can do it pretty well, and, you know, it's been well reported, you know, their investment in training, learning, development, et cetera, for their people, it obviously makes a significant difference. And I think that's now, again, just table stakes for modern retail uh, with what customers are expecting when they go into stores. Mm-hmm. Justin Abrams and Raymond Riley, great points today on the podcast. And I wanted to wrap up with a question for both of you. It's a bit of a guessing game. I'm pulling this from my friend, Chris Ressa. He hosts Retail Retold. And it's a little bit of trivia. So there is something at Target right now. We have St. Patrick's Day coming up soon. It's a men's St. Patrick's Day, like a cat, like meow. With Fanny. It looks like it comes with the Fanny pack. And it's a graphic t-shirt. It has a little cat wearing sunglasses on it. And it says, Happy St. Patrick's Day. How much do you guys think this is retailing for? Okay, so just to confirm, it's a onesie with the Fanny pack. No, it's not a onesie. It's weird. It's a t-shirt, but it says a t-shirt with Fanny. Okay, I'm going to go in at $24.99. All right. Ray's in at $24.99. What do you guess, Justin? No Googling. I'm definitely sticking with uh, Ray after hearing his uh, target experiences. So <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I'm doubling down. Yeah, I, I actually, I'll I chip some right back here. I bought, it, I bought it yesterday. So, <laughs> oh, God. Oh, that's hilarious. No, it's actually $14.99, which is, um, it seems low, right? It seems kind of low, but hey, great prices. It's a steal. <laughs> it's a, it is a steal. I mean, we should all go buy one after after we hop off. Can so you ship was, one out to the panelists? I know, right? As a thank you, I'll be sending you guys your your Catrix day with Fanny. Absolutely. Size large. <laughs> so Justin, where can listeners get in contact with you if they're interested in, in chatting and continuing the conversation? Anyone can uh, check us out on Instagram at, at flagshiprtl and on our website, www.flagshiprtl.com. Wonderful. And Ray, what about you? Yeah. Uh, so anybody can find us on Twitter, Progress for Retail. 
Instagram, progress underscore retail, and then progressretail.com. Excellent. Justin Abrams and Raymond Riley, thank you both for joining the rundown today, and I hope to have you back in the future. Thank you. Thanks for having us. You've been listening to the Rethink Retail podcast. If you would like to be considered as a guest on our show, apply at rethink.industries slash podcast guest. For sponsorship opportunities, send us an email at media at rethink.industries. You can help support our team at Rethink Retail by dropping us a rating and review on your iTunes podcast app. To each and every one of you, thanks so much for tuning in. Retail never sleeps. See you next week.